0: Page 913 in the back of your hymn book, I'm going to read to you articles 6 through 8 Then we're going to open the Word of God to Luke chapter 22. Article 5 spoke of the effects of serious sins. And Article 6, God's saving intervention for God who is rich in mercy, according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not take his Holy Spirit from his own completely, even when they fall grievously. Neither does he let them fall down so far that they forfeit the grace of adoption and the state of justification or commit the sin which leads to death, a sin against the Holy Spirit, and plunge themselves entirely forsaken by him into eternal ruin. Article 7. For in the first place, God preserves in those saints when they fall His imperishable seed from which they have been born again, lest it perish or be dislodged. Secondly, by His word and spirit, He certainly and effectively renews them to repentance so that they have a heartfelt and godly sorrow for, their, for the sins they have committed, seek and obtain through faith and with a contrite heart forgiveness in the blood of their mediator, experience again the grace of a reconciled God, through faith adore His mercies, and from then on more eagerly work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. In Article 8, So it is not by their own merits or strength, but by God's undeserved mercy that they neither forfeit faith and grace totally nor remain in their downfalls to the end and are lost. With respect to themselves, this not only easily could happen, but also undoubtedly would happen. But with respect to God, it cannot possibly happen, since His plan cannot be changed. His promise cannot fail. The calling according to His purpose cannot be revoked. The merit of Christ, as well as His interceding and, pre- and preserving, cannot be nullified. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit can neither be invalidated nor wiped out. Now, please open your Bibles to Luke 22. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17, and we're going to read through to verse 34. We're looking at verses 31 to 34, Satan sifting and the Savior's supplication. Luke 22, 17. But behold, the head of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves?" But you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Here begins our text, verse 31. And The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. So far, the reading of God's holy inspired And inerrant word. The Bible compares the Christian life to the running of a race. The writer of Hebrews said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every Christian has a race to run. You are running, I am running, the person in front of you and behind you is running. The challenges of the race may be very different from one to the next. There are those who appear to run primarily on level ground. And as they run, they seem to encounter only the odd dip in the road and the odd thunderstorm. They experience only the occasional side ache. Others are required to run over high and rugged mountains so that the race requires a great deal of strength and perseverance. As they run, they feel aching muscles and joints. And then there are yet others who are required to run through dark, dangerous, and thistle-filled valleys in which they frequently stumble. They pass through alligator-infested marshes, way through icy streams, and pass through jungles in which they are pursued by wild and hungry beasts. Their legs throb constantly, their feet are raw, blistered, and torn, their lungs burn, and consequently their journey is exceptionally laborious. But congregation, I want to remind you that whatever your race may be like, regardless of the obstacles that you may face on your path, every true child of God will complete the race. Not one of his redeemed will fail to cross the finish line. If God has chosen you before the foundation of the world and if Jesus has died for you on Calvary's cross and if the Holy Spirit has called you inwardly through the word and spirit, you will one day most assuredly receive the crown of righteousness and the everlasting pleasures of life with God. You run and complete the race not merely by human discipline and determination, You run and complete the race because of the one who prays for you. This morning from Luke 22, verses 31 to 34, we want to consider Satan's sifting and the Savior's supplication. Our outline is made up of four words, desired, deluded, delivered, and delegated. The race that Simon Peter had to run was certainly not always on smooth ground, He yet across some rugged and dangerous terrain. According to our text, he was a desired disciple. What do I mean? Desired by whom? Well, verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Another translation says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Most people like to be wanted. People who don't feel wanted tend to live a rather lonely and unsatisfied life. However, while most people like to feel wanted, we don't like to be wanted by just anyone, do we? We don't like to be wanted by a serial killer or by a cannibalistic savage. We don't like to be wanted by a cruel, vicious, twisted, and ruthless person. Simon was wanted by a murderer. Scripture says Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He takes pleasure in killing and devouring people. He's compared to a hungry, devouring lion. During the Last Supper, after breaking the bread and passing the cup, Jesus said to his disciples in verse 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. If you back up to verse 3, you read that Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. The religious leaders of Israel were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, verse 2. Then we read in verse 3 that Satan entered Judas. He took possession of Judas and claimed him as his own. However, Satan was not satisfied with Judas. He wanted more. He wanted Simon Peter as well. Peter was a leading disciple. He was the first one to be called by Jesus and the first one to make that wonderful confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was also the first to step out of the boat and walk on water. Satan undoubtedly thought that if he could get Peter, he could get all twelve of the disciples. That's really what he wanted, all twelve. Now, you wouldn't notice this in your English Bible, but the word you in verse 31 is plural. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, plural. In Greek, it is clear that Satan wanted to control all the disciples. Taking possession of Judas was wonderful for Satan. Satan. But it only wet his appetite for more. You see Satan is a hungry, devouring, greedy beast who's never satisfied. He's always looking for ways to devour more souls. He wants more and more and more. You need to be aware of the fact that he wants you as well. He wants you as well. He wants to see you damned for eternity. Separated from the loving presence of God forever. He wants to lead you to to an entirely hopeless, joyless, fruitless eternity. Peter himself would later write in his first epistle, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is the deadliest of all enemies. Ever since he deceived Eve in the garden and through Eve tempted Adam so that he disobeyed God, he has been at work in this world devouring men, women, and children. Article 4 of the Canons, the fifth head, reminds us that if we do not constantly watch and pray, we can be carried away by Satan into sins, even serious and outrageous ones. Verse 31 says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you or demanded to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The disciples knew what happened to wheat. Farmers would put it into a large sieve, which was vigorously shaken from side to side and its contents thrown into the air. The intent was that the wheat would remain while the chaff would be blown away by the wind. That's what Satan wanted to do, only he wanted to vigorously and violently shake Peter and the other disciples with persecution and severe trials in the hope that their loyalty to Christ would prove to be false. He wanted to drive them away like chaff scattered by the wind. He wanted no wheat to remain. If all the disciples defected, Denied Christ and fled, if they disbanded and disappeared, there would be no one left to preach the saving gospel. Satan and his demons would be delighted. Without the gospel, the kingdom of darkness could thrive. Brothers and sisters, While the apostles may have been the special focus of his attacks because of the uniqueness of their office, you need to be aware that Satan also wants to sift you as wheat. He wants you to be like chaff which the wind drives away. He would love to bring turbulent, severe, shaking temptation into your life in the hope that you will forsake the cross, depart from Christ, destroy your Christian testimony, and ultimately join Him in the misery of hell. You need to be aware that His demonic influence is present in the Christian marriage that is headed toward destruction. His influence is evident in the sniping that goes on between husband and wife, the cutting or deceptive words, the sarcastic remarks, the hurtful accusations, and the flare-ups of anger. His demonic influence is present when verbal volcanoes erupt between parents and children. Satan is pleased when family devotions are neglected. When the word is not consistently read and applied, when loving discipline is neglected by parents or when fathers abdicate their role as spiritual leaders. His sifting is also evident in the young couple who do not resist sexual temptation before marriage, who violate God's beautiful design by doing what God has reserved for within the marriage bond alone. His demonic influence is present when the young person clicks onto that pornographic website. Or when the preacher, with a fruitful ministry to families, has to be released from the ministry because of an inappropriate relationship with someone who is not his wife. And then Satan's evil influence is also evident when members of the church dismiss the spiritual leaders whom God has placed over them or his evil influence is seen in in the council rooms of churches when the church's leadership begin to attack each other over non-essential matters or when the leadership is divided because of prideful power struggles. He loves to vigorously and violently shake the leadership of the church in the hope that the leadership devours one another. Congregation, are you aware of the dangers in your own life and in the lives of others. But a young woman leaves the church of Christ during her college years. It is Satan who desires to have her. When a young man joins the party spirit and careless lives of the guys at work. It is Satan who desires to have him. When a person neglects worship for the sake of sports, hobbies, unessential work, or for the sake of family outings, it is Satan who desires to have him. When a person is moving towards exclusion or excommunication from the church, it is Satan who wants to have him or her. Satan and his minions are always lurking in the shadows seeking whom they may devour. The hymn writer said, Christian, dost thou see them on the holy ground, how the powers of darkness compass thee around? Christian, dost thou feel them, how they work within, striving, tempting, luring, goading into sin? Christian, dost thou hear them, how they speak thee fair, always fast and vigil, always watch and prayer? Remember, congregation, Satan not only wanted Judas, Peter, and the 12, he also wants you. He wants you. Which brings us to point number two. Unfortunately, while Peter was a desired disciple, desired by Satan, he was also a deluded disciple. Have a look with me to verse 33. But he, Simon Peter, said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. One of the most spiritually dangerous attitudes is when we Christians minimize the danger. At this moment in his life, Peter did not seem to take the power of Satan very seriously. He was convinced that he was ready to go with Jesus to prison, and he was even willing to die with Jesus if it came to that. Lord, others may forsake you, but not me. No, sir. No one can shake my commitment. If it means prison, so be it. If it means my life is going to be cut short, so be it. I won't turn away. I am a rock. People of God, you should not underestimate the power of the evil one. Scripture calls Satan the prince of the power of this world, the God of this age, The prince of the power of the air, the one who blinds minds and holds sinners in his snare? Undoubtedly, Satan and his demons were lurking in the shadows when Noah became drunk, when Abraham lied about his wife, when Moses angrily struck the rock in the wilderness when Samson was lured away by beautiful Philistine women, and when David became an adulterer and a murderer. Undoubtedly, Satan and his demons were lurking in the shadows when Solomon went after Ashtaroth and Milcom. Satan was undoubtedly rejoicing when Solomon built a high place for Chemosh on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. He was lurking in the shadows in the early New Testament church when Ananias and Sapphira sold their land and lied to Peter about the proceeds. And when Demas forsook the apostle Paul, and when Paul and Barnabas had that sharp contention with each other over John Mark. If you think that his demons are not at work in your life, then you, like Peter, are sadly and dangerously deluded oh no I'll never you fill in the blank I'll never there is no way that I would ever you fill in the blank perhaps you hear of someone who has fallen into some serious sin and you say how could he do such a thing what was he thinking I can't imagine ever doing what she did really You couldn't do what she did. You couldn't fall so deeply into sin. You couldn't cheat, lie, steal, blaspheme, and commit adultery as he did. Peter sounded very confident. You might say that his words even sounded refreshing, right? How many people do you know who would say with such conviction and passion, I'm ready to suffer and die with Jesus? But congregation, Peter's confidence was self-confidence and overconfidence. And self-confidence is a deadly spiritual danger for the Christian. Instead of asking Jesus for help and strength to keep him from falling, instead of asking Jesus to make him aware and alert to the unseen deadly spiritual battle, he boldly asserted that he was ready to face any and every danger. If you were there... His words may have sounded refreshingly courageous, but in reality, they were the expression of a deluded mind. How did Jesus respond to Simon's self-confidence? Go with me in your Bibles to verse 34, verse 34, "'Then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, The rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me." No way, Jesus. No way. You must be thinking about someone else, not me. Some of the other disciples perhaps, but not me. I am the rock. Brothers and sisters, some commentators believe that in verse 31, when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, it is possible that Jesus used his old name to remind him of his frailty. You see, after he made that wonderful confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means what? Rock. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Some commentators believe that calling him Simon instead of Peter and repeating it twice, Simon, Simon, Jesus was reminding him of his human weakness. With respect to his own power, he was not Peter, the rock, but he was a mere helpless, weak human being. I tell you, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me." If you jump down to verse 60, you will see the fulfillment of Jesus' prediction. That very day, after Jesus' arrest in the garden, He was brought to the house of the high priest. Peter, you'll recall, followed at a distance and made his way to the courtyard where people warmed themselves by the fire. Peter sat down with them. As he sat by the fire, he was asked about his association with Jesus. In verse 57, he said to a servant girl, woman, I do not know him. A little later, when someone asserted that Peter was one of them, he responded, verse 58, man, I am not. And then an hour later, when someone else questioned him, he said, verse 60, Man, I do not know what you're saying. And then at the end of verse 60, we read, Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Really, Peter? You're ready to go with Jesus to prison? You're ready to go with him to death? Peter tried to run the race at his own strength not understanding his weakness and he fell flat on his face busted his teeth and broke his nose Brothers and sisters may God keep us from making the same mistake Don't think that you can withstand the devil on your own and don't think that you're incapable of falling into serious sin Beware when you think you're strong. It may be the occasion for serious and sinful departure from the Lord. We come then to point number three. Peter was not only desired by Satan and deluded by his own weak mind, but thankfully he was also delivered by the power of Jesus. Delivered. If you fear that you are just as weak as Peter, who denied his Lord, verse 32 provides a tremendous word of comfort. Please have a look with me, starting again at verse 31. Verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but, verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. How did Peter survive the attacks of Satan? Why was he not blown away like chaff, like Judas whose faith failed and who in the end fell into complete despair and committed suicide? And how can you know that your faith will not be destroyed? In the daily struggles of life, Or in times of suffering and persecution for the faith? How do you know that Satan's not going to utterly shake the life out of you so that you fly away like chaff in the wind? The answer is found in verse 32. Peter endured because his great high priest prayed for him. The word but, you see it there at the beginning of verse 32. It changes everything. Satan will try to destroy you, but I am with you. I will deliver you. He will do his utmost to sift you, but I am on your side. In verse 32, when Jesus said, but I have prayed for you, he used the singular form of the pronoun, you. Undoubtedly, he prayed for all the disciples, but in verse 32, he is specifically addressing Peter. I have prayed for you. Simon, congregation, what a comfort it is to know that the Lord Jesus prays for you individually and personally. How kind, gracious, and loving he is. He knows you by name. He knows you by name and he knows all the temptations, sorrows, and trials of your life. He doesn't pray that God will take away all your difficulties so that you will run your race entirely on smooth ground. And he doesn't pray that Satan will be entirely restrained in your life. But he does pray that in the midst of your spiritual battles, God will protect you from the evil one so that your faith may not fail. One writer stated it in a helpful manner. He said this, if only we could see Jesus praying and listen to what he is saying to the Father, what courage we would take to live for him through every trouble in life. Jesus is praying for us that our faith will not fail. He is praying about our chronic pain that in our physical weakness, we will not stop trusting in the goodness of God. He is praying about our troubled marriage, that in our alienation, we will not stop trusting in His love. He is praying about our financial situation, that in our urgent concern about paying the bills, we will not stop trusting in God to provide. He is praying about our secret discouragement, that in our night of dark despair, we will not stop trusting Him to lead us into the light. He is praying about our wandering into sin, that we will never stop trusting in his forgiveness. Jesus is praying for everything we need. Surely these prayers will be answered just the way God answered the prayers that Jesus prayed for Peter. The man's faith did not fail. Although he turned away, he also returned, believing by faith that his sins were forgiven. Congregation, as powerful as Satan may be, he cannot overthrow those who are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and upheld by the intercessory prayers of Jesus. While Satan desired and even demanded to have Peter for himself, Jesus desired to have him even more. And nothing can overthrow the intense desire of Jesus for his redeemed people. He does not stand back and watch to see if we have the strength to endure through trials. No, he goes to work for us and prays that God will preserve us and give us what we need. Although Jesus' earthly ministry is complete, his ministry in heaven continues on. Hebrews 7, verse 25, tells us that he always lives to make intercession for us. Romans 8, 34 says, it is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Yes, we can fall and do fall as Peter fell with a denial of his master. Those who belong to Christ can never fall utterly and irretrievably, as Satan would like us to do. Why? Because our great high priest prays for us. Article 6 of the Canons correctly says that God, who is rich in mercy, according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not take his Holy Spirit from his own completely, even when they fall grievously. Neither does he let them fall down so far that they forfeit the grace of adoption and the state of justification or commit the sin which leads to death, the sin against the Holy Spirit, and plunge themselves entirely forsaken by him into eternal ruin. And Then Article 7 goes on to say that when they fall, God preserves in His people the incorruptible seed of regeneration from perishing or being totally lost. There may be times when you, like Peter, fall into serious sin. But if you are truly born again, you cannot lose the new life that you have received. In his first epistle, the apostle Peter said, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Have you ever had a little tree in your yard that you kept running over with the lawnmower? You keep cutting it down, but a new sprout begins to grow. Sometimes even after years of cutting it down, it continues to sprout and grow. That's what the seed of regeneration planted in the hearts of the elect is like. The plant that grows, the plant that grows from the seed of regeneration can be cut down as the result of sin, so that it appears as though faith no longer exists. But the seed is imperishable, and it will grow again. The new life that God imparts to his elect is imperishable. It cannot die. Article 7 says that by his word and spirit, God certainly and effectively renews them to repentance so that they have a heartfelt and godly sorrow for the sins they have committed. As Peter was renewed to repentance and wept bitterly in verse 62, And using the words of Article 7, as he expressed a sincere and godly sorrow for his sin, he again experienced the favor of a reconciled God, adored His mercies, and became more diligent in working out His salvation with fear and trembling. And then finally, Our text reveals that Peter was not only desired by Satan, deluded by the flesh, and delivered by the prayers of Jesus, but he was also delegated by our Lord to a specific task. Point number four delegated. Let's have a look at the remainder of verse 32. Verse 32 I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren." Jesus knew that Peter would be tempted and that he would fall, but he also knew that he would be fully restored. And his temptation, fall, repentance, tears, and gracious restoration would serve a wonderful purpose. Through his painful experience, Peter would come to see the limitations of his own strength and his desperate need of Jesus' intercession. And through these hard-learned lessons, he would be able to encourage others in their struggle against temptation and sin. He could say to others, don't trust yourself. Put your trust in your great high priest, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Simon, I want you to be a source of strength to others. Tell them how I upheld you and how your faith did not fail in the dark hours of temptation. Tell them how faithful I am in upholding my own even in the most dangerous of times. Simon, use your experience to strengthen others. Tell them not to underestimate the power of Satan and his demons who want to destroy their faith tell them that the powers of darkness are real active and dangerous but be sure to tell them that there is a great high priest who ever lives and pleads for his elect and because he lives and pleads for his elect their faith will never be obliterated tell them that in their own strength their faith will evaporate in minutes But with the protection and help of God, it will endure even to the end of the race. You see, congregation Satan's wicked plans against Peter were actually used by God to strengthen others. The sinner was commissioned to serve. The one who denied his master helped to prevent others from denying the faith. If you read Peter's epistles, you discover that he was used by God to strengthen others to endure trials. He became an encourager to many. If you read the book of Acts, you see how Peter became a mighty, bold preacher and was used by God to challenge numerous people. What was the difference between Peter and Judas? What was the difference between Peter and Judas? The intercessory prayer of Jesus for his elect. Having been sifted, vigorously shaken, and tossed by Satan, Judas perished eternally. When Satan was done with him, there was no evidence of faith whatsoever. He went through the wringer and came out dry. Although he was one of the twelve who was so richly blessed under the ministry of Jesus, although he heard the gospel taught and saw the miraculous signs, he was in the end like chaff which the wind drives away. By contrast, Simon Peter, who by the instigation of the devil denied his master three times, went on to become a tremendous source of support to many others. Like Judas, he too was shaken by the devil who was trying to take away his faith. But unlike Judas, Peter was sustained by the powerful intercessory prayers of Jesus. Consequently, even Peter's grievous and inexcusable sin was used in the end as a blessing to others as Peter used his experience to strengthen his brothers. Congregation, when you yield to the devil's temptations and fall into sin, and then feel the pain of having disobeyed your Lord. If you find yourself weeping bitterly on account of your unfaithfulness as Peter wept, remember. Although your sin is an offense to God and grieves the Spirit, through repentance and godly sorrow, God can use your fall so that you can be a source of strength and blessing to others in the body of Christ. Because of your experience, you can now speak to others about the insanity of sin. The misery that it brings, the stupidity of self-confidence, the weakness of man, the subtlety and power of the serpent, and our dire need of the merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ using the words of Article 8. Yes, by the intervention of Christ in your life, Satan's sifting can actually be used against him. While Satan tries to destroy your faith, God is able to use it not only to strengthen your faith, but also the faith of others who learn from your folly. Therefore, by the intercession of Christ, Satan's efforts in our lives become self-defeating. In his attempt to get you off the track and cause you to quit the race, by the intervention of Christ, Satan's efforts can actually result in greater resolve to run the race and to help others run the race. You can say to your brother or your sister in Christ, don't go that way. I went that way and it was a disaster. I made a mess of it. Don't lean on your own understanding. I did that. I got stuck in a snare. Don't overestimate your abilities. I did that and it brought me nothing but grief. Through my stupidity, God has taught me to look to Jesus, to stay close to the Word, and to seek the power of the Spirit in my life. You can speak that way to your brother, to your sister. Congregation, this passage powerfully reminds us that on your own, you are nothing. You're but chaff in the wind. You're but chaff in the wind. Therefore, thank God for the intercessory ministry of Jesus. The hymn writer said, intercessor, friend of sinners, earth's redeemer, plead for me. You have a great high priest, trust him, love him, praise him, and then go on to point others to him. When you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In closing, you need to know that if you reject this high priest, you will be deceived by the evil one and you will suffer eternally with Satan and his demons. But if you rest your hope in him, nothing, nothing can separate you from his love. Intercessor. Friend of sinners, earth redeemer, plead for me. Let us pray. Lord, our God, what a comfort to know about the intercessory ministry of our Lord Jesus. We know that His earthly task is finished. The ultimate sacrifice has been offered. Our Lord Jesus paid the debt, took the punishment for our sin, but while His earthly task is complete, what a comfort it is to know that He continues to make intercession for us at the right hand so we have a great high priest whose intercessory ministry for his people does not fail. Lord, we confess before you this morning that we are often very foolish, like Peter. Perhaps there are times when we are overly confident or self-confident. We look at our own abilities and overestimate what we are able to accomplish instead of resting in our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray that you will continue your gracious work in us. We all have a race to run. Some will have greater difficulties than others, but we all will face trials and temptations that spiritual battle. We pray that we might all rest our hope in Jesus Christ, that we would not be as chaff driven away by the wind, but that we will be used even through our blunders and our failures to strengthen others. So, Lord, use us here in this body to minister to one another. May our fellowship time after the service be used to minister to each other for our strengthening for the glory of Christ. Hear us, we pray, in his name, amen.